You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! again everybody and welcome to another episode of the clone war strikes back this is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of star wars the clone wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc my name is dominic and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host kieran hello dominic how are you doing mate i'm doing fantastic how are you i'm absolutely buzzed at the moment just got back to university now settling back in and what a great arc to to settle back into i guess geonosis arc can't yes. wait to discuss it the epic five-part arc from season two and also joining us it's my co-host on the star wars underworld podcast and the station master of channel 1138 it's chris seacall chris how are you doing this week i'm doing fantastic i got up extra early this sunday morning (laughs) just to talk about the geonosis arc because it is worth it this is one of the most robust arcs in this entire series and the fact that it aired at the towards the beginning of season two is is an amazing feat by the entire creative team and i can't wait to delve into why that is Oh yeah, absolutely. And we should we should mention uh, we are broadcasting live on channel 1138, and I know there are a bunch of people listening right now, and they were listening to Soundtrack Sundays, and well, we just cut in in the middle of it. This is the unscheduled broadcast on the channel. So if you're ever listening to channel 1138 and you're listening to something, and then all of a sudden you hear the music that just started, you know you found the Easter egg broadcast that is the Clone Wars Strikes Back because it's never scheduled. But it just happens. So if you if you like the show and you're listening at the right time, then you'll you'll get lucky. Um, <laughs> well, let's jump into this. We've got five episodes to discuss: Senate Spy, Landing at Point Rain, Weapons Factory, Brain Invaders. Oh no, wait. What's what's the Legacy one of Terror? Legacy of Terror. Legacy Brain of terror. Invaders. You'd think you'd think I would know this <laughs> stuff. You'd think I would. Um, but uh, Kieran, do you have an episode description for let's start with senate spy let's do senate spy first and then we'll break the break up the other episodes accordingly yeah no no problem dominic so senate spy at the jedi council's request padme investigates a separatist conspiracy in the senate that's my short summary right there (laughs) all right yeah so this is a this is this is an, an interesting episode of the show because it's the only episode I think that features no blaster shots or, or lightsaber action or really much, you know, sort of what you expect from Star Wars, which is lots of fighting and and all that. It's really it's much more of a dramatic episode with Padme being poisoned by her former love interest who's still kind of in love with her and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it starts off where we see Anakin and Padme having a, a romantic evening together after Anakin has returned from the front line of the Clone War. And, I, you know, a lot of people have 
issues with Anakin's and Pad Anakin and Padme's relationship. It's not a very healthy. Did you relationship. say Panakin? <laughs> Panakin, yeah, Panakin. That's what we're doing now. Yes, <laughs> that's their shipper name. <laughs> so, so keep Panakin, it that way. Yeah, Panakin are uh, sitting on the couch and there, and Obi Wan calls and, and, and they get all upset. But um, people have have had issues with the Panakin relationship. They say it's not a very healthy relationship. In this one, we see them kind of doing more typical married couple types things. And so Kieran, I'll ask you, what do you think of Padme and Anakin's relationship, Panakin, um, in the movies and in this episode? Do you think this episode helps it or makes it just as messed up? I think the episode that we're currently discussing now, it, it makes Padme and Anakin's relationship a lot more, I guess, I guess I can understand it. And sympathize with the characters a lot more than i could in the movies i feel like in the movies it was just rushed because what you had was uh the quick you had the reunion of anakin and padme in the beginning of episode two and then following on from that you have them going to naboo and the love blossoms so to speak and then afterwards um they're like, no, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. And then all of a sudden, in the Geonosis arena, she says, I love you. It's like, whoa, hang on a minute. This happened in the space of a couple of hours here. I, it's, you know, that's like in a lifetime's relationship, let alone a movie's relationship. So I just thought that was rushed. But when you look at it in the Clone Wars, I feel that it's a lot more, it, it, it's, it's been portrayed in a more positive and a more sympathetic light, personally. And so I, I feel like when he's coming in with dinner and then, um, she said, I can't remember exactly some of the lines that she says in here with her and Anakin sitting and her resting it, resting her head on his shoulders. And it's like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit more lovey dovey and romantic, I guess. But, <laughs> but, um, at the same time, what's good with the Clone Wars though is that there's no real cheesy line, so to speak, or not really that, ugh, lines that make you feel a bit squeamish inside. But also, they do touch upon. The negative ramification, the ne negative implications of the relationship, uh, as we uh, have already seen in the Clovis arc, which I think is really good. But that's why I think is is a lot better in the Clone Wars is that they touch upon a broad parameter of the relationship of Anakin and Padme than they ever did in the movies. It's a lot more in depth discussion. So that that's kind of why I, I prefer the Clone Wars Anakin and Padme to the movie Anakin and Padme. So here we are. I'll put that to the floor then. Okay. Well, well, Chris, your favorite movie, your favorite Star Wars movie is Attack of the Clones, which is where we really see um, Anakin and Padme's love blossom, as as they say when they describe across the stars, the, the music piece. Um, what do you think of their relationship in this arc and in the films? Well, honestly, I feel like their relationship in the films is basically everything that, that, that is wrong with romantic relationships in our society. <laughs> I mean, it's what not to do. And it's it, it, we still do this in our society. An example is the TV show The Bachelor. It makes me think of that, where you have these people in this setting where it's fantastic, and they're going to all these places and doing all of these things that are so wrapped up in the moment, and they just happen to be together. And because they're human beings and have all these attractions and feelings that, that are involved, they, they start falling in love with each other. And I think that especially happened on Padme's side. Anakin obviously had been panning for Padme ever, ever, or pining for Padme ever <laughs> since the second he laid eyes on her, um, which, again, 
that's what you get with like shows like The Bachelor. You have like all those girls coming in, and they're absolutely in love with like these guys. Actually, I think it would be better to talk about The Bachelorette, Bachelorette, which is the other version, because then you got Padme basically being the the person who doesn't have any attachment, and then Anakin's like the guy who comes in and absolutely is like pining for her and wants her and is like already in love with her from like the second he sees her, and he like tells the he tells Chris the. The guy who uh, is the uh, if you haven't seen the show who who runs it, um, you know oh, I'm absolutely in love with her. Yeah, the first. <laughs> no, that's not me. <laughs> no, <laughs> Chris Harrison is his name, and and he like you know he he, he tell uh, the the guy will come in and then he'll he'll do like an interview and he he will he will say oh from the second I saw her I knew she was the one for me and all this stuff and. Then over the course of time, they go on all these picnics with each other, and they like you know roll around um, in fields and stuff, just like an attack of the clones. And and then all of a sudden, you know, the girl starts saying, "Oh, maybe I do like this guy." Oh, <laughs> and that's 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 basically what happens. So the, and and then at, when it's all over, most of them break up. There's like this amazing <laughs> proposal and in front of national audience and then everybody's interested in their relationship and they want to see their wedding, but then they just break up and it's all over the tabloids and the news and everybody's feels horrible until the next season and they just move on to new people. <laughs> um, they move on to Han and, and Leia and they're fine. Um, so oh man, that, is this your prediction for episode seven? Then <laughs> <laughs> Anna Lamb will be broken up. No, oh no, it would follow Just a pattern. I have to say, this is the first time I think in the history of Star Wars podcasting, at least in the ones that I've listened to or been involved in, that The Bachelor has been used to make a Star Wars reference. This is fascinating. <laughs> oh man. Oh gosh! Well, so basically that went to a place I wasn't expecting. Basically, like what the, the Clone Wars series is. To answer the original question, is it's like the um, after show when maybe they go back and check in on the couple a few times, and sometimes it'll be really cool and they'll be fine, and other times they'll be fighting, and it'll be like, oh, okay, get the cameras off us. And that's basically what the Clone Wars is. And right now they just happen to come in when um, Padme's bringing Anakin sushi and. There you go. Yeah. She's going to make him bread. I love that that's her specialty. It's bread. <laughs> it's not like it's a cake or it's pasta. It's bread. Uh, Do not yeah. underestimate how long it takes to make bread, all right? You know, she spent yeah. a long time. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I fully acknowledge bread is not the easiest thing to make, but – You're going to buy it from the market. <laughs> yeah, really. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, you know, personally, I, I think – that they sort of show, again, sort of what Chris was going for. I wasn't going to use that same metaphor. <laughs> um, that, um, you know, Anakin and Padme, we saw them sort of have that, you know, fall in love, honeymoon, lovey-dovey stuff. And then now we're seeing the real relationship. And they they do seem to stick together. But they always stick together through, again, incredible circumstances. Like we sort of see in this episode, they're kind of fighting in very, you know, mundane, normal circumstances. And it's not until Padme has been poisoned and on the brink of death that they sort of rekindle their relationship. And again, when we sort of when we see them in the Clovis arc in season six, again, they were about to break up and then. There was this big battle, and Anakin was only able to save Padme, and that's what brought them back together. And, and so it seems, sort of seems like they 
thrive on the extreme. And if these things aren't extreme, then they're going to argue and have a big argument in the Senate chamber, which I thought was a <laughs> perfect place to set the argument because, you know, nobody's there. And yet it's this big, giant room where all of this, you know, important stuff is supposed to take place. And there's this married couple arguing about who gets to tell who what to do. And in a strange kind of way, it does turn out to be the perfect setting because Anakin and Padme's relationship winds up having major implications on that on that room. Well, I have to say, Dominic, your concept there actually is is very very interesting because it's actually when she proclaims her love for Anakin in Episode Two in the Geonosis Arena after they've been through this massive battle in a droid foundry and they're about to get killed. You're right; it's almost as though she just that that that's the, the thriving element there is is the, I guess the sounds wrong but as chris has said there's a lot wrong with this relationship but the violence aspect you know the, the violent component uh whenever they are in, in in a battle situation remember the malevolence trilogy they started kissing in the middle of a war zone it's like <laughs> come on guys <laughs> Security yeah, cameras here, come on. <laughs> and Anakin and Padme's relationship should, you know, their dates should be like going bungee jumping or something. That's the only way they'll get through them without killing each other. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about Clovis, Mr. Clovis, who we, at the time when this aired, we thought was a one-off villain. So I'll ask you guys, what was your initial impression of Clovis way back when? And has that changed now that we've seen what we saw in season six and chris i'll throw it to you first well going back to the bachelor um there's there's, there's always this guy that everybody hates like and that's him that's clovis i mean it's as simple as that um so i mean i think we're we're made to kind of distrust him we're led to distrust him and not really like a separatist he's a separatist ward ward profiteer exactly and 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 i mean despite the imperfection of of anakin and padme's relationship i mean that's what we're supposed to be rooting for i suppose Um, because anakin's supposed to be the hero of this of the series and, and padme one of the the, the lead of female characters um so yeah he, i mean he he comes across as a little suspicious and creepy and weird the way that he's he's courting padme and it's also there's a lot of irony involved because obviously clovis doesn't know that Padme's seeing anakin but we know yes. as the audience <laughs> so yeah. we kind of have a different perspective on things than he would or any other other of the characters um, witnessing the situation, like Obi Wan Kenobi, for instance, would um, probably. So um, it, it's just an interesting setup where we are kind of we're we're kind of seeing things from Padme's point of view specifically rather than his, um, and it probably would actually seem a lot different if we were seeing things from his point of view, which again makes him a little bit of a sympathetic character yeah. because from his point of view, he's not really doing as as much wrong as as we know he is being able to see both <laughs> sides of the war and and both sides of this this relationship interplay sure like i guess if if we were seeing things from clovis's perspective it would just be you know he's in love with padme but so is her pilot like exactly. her pilot is, is in love with her <laughs> exactly. he's the other the guy just can't he's, find he's, the he's, words. he's a good guy on the bachelor who <laughs> yeah. like you know the underdog who ends up you know not winning because you know he's just just a friend Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Kieran, take us away from The Bachelor. What do you think? 
Well, hang on a minute. There's another little reference to the Bachelor I could just oh, talk God. about. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rush Clovis. Yeah, his, his character, he, he is a bit creepy, I have to say, uh, when, when you consider his motivations throughout this episode. <laughs> because he, he begins to talk about um, going to the going to Kate and Amoydia because they need to reimburse with the banking clan in uh, funds, so they're basically in debt. And and he, and he says, "Oh, come 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 to me with Kate and Amoydia. I'm more interested in in rekindling our friendship than our politics." I was like, "Whoa, it's a bit forward already, ain't it? You know, come on." And um, and then in, in, obviously in the ship, I mean, he's trying to kiss her, isn't it? And she's just like, Ugh. "It's like, come on." But that, but I have to say, that's a very funny scene, though. That that scene with the ship. We'll come on to, I guess, a little bit later. But but Rush Clovis himself, I think. Having seen the, the latest arc, though, with him involved, he is a bit of a more sympathetic character because we we're able to glean his his disposition, I guess, from from his point of view for a change. Because we learn about his backstory in season six with the moons, etc. We don't know that here yet. It just seems like some some old fling that Padme's had. It's like it's like reunion, uh, reuniting yourself with an ex girlfriend. It's just a bit awkward and. And weird, I guess. <laughs> if, particularly if you're trying to get back together, it's just like, oh god. Um, so I, for, for it is a little bit in that uh, category. I would kind of put the situation in it at this point in time. But now we know more about his backstory. I feel like looking back at this at this arc, I do feel sympathy because yet he is already being played. Uh, he's not being played necessarily by Dooku and Sidious at this point, but he's being played by the Jedi because obviously. As you said, the dramatic irony is that we know the pilot, who he believes is just a pilot, is actually a Jedi. You know, so he's <laughs> he's being played here majorly. So I, I do feel sympathetic in that respect, but at the same time, I agree with Chris. He is very weird and creepy still, and um, I know he's one of your favorite characters, though, Dominic, isn't he? So I'll pass the uh, part over to you. Then you can go and uh, say your opinions on Rush Clovis. <laughs> well, I think you guys, I think you guys hit on the word creep. Um, you know, his, his password is Padme. And so I want to know, did he change that after they re- he rekindled his relationship or so he thought with Padme, which is still a little bit creepy. It's like changing your Facebook um, relationship status immediately. It makes you seem <laughs> desperate, so I'm told. Um, and – or did he have it from like – Way back when, from, you know, however many years ago when they were in a relationship and he's still been in love with her all this time and he's kept his password as Padme. I want to know, because if that's the case, that seems really creepy. Like, he's been obsessed with her for a a long time. And here's the thing. In in season six, we can start seeing him as as more of a sympathetic character because we do know his backstory. In this arc, it doesn't make him a sympathetic character. It makes him even more of a of a bad guy in, in my view because we know he's had this this tragic backstory and he hasn't taken that and used it for good he's instead sort of used the worst of the the mutants which is the corrupt ones and become one of them and he's become a corrupt bad guy and you know he's working with Lot Dodd and I think this experience of you know almost dying at the hands of Lot Dodd and Anakin, um, and then of course, you know, losing out on his relationship with Padme is what sort of puts him on the right path as we get to season six when we see him again. 
but yeah, he's he's a creep. But, but link, <laughs> linking on to this, actually, this is a question I can ask you guys. Is obviously we know that Senator Clovis is affiliated with the banking clan. And that's the principal uh, motivation, I guess, behind the Jedi Order uh, intervening. And Yoda says that the banking clan are involved with the Separatists. And we, we keep talking about this. It seems that way anyway when we talk about the Trade Federation. But the banking clan are just the same in that respect. And I wonder what your viewpoint is as to why are they on the Republic Senate still when it's so obvious to everyone, well, apart from the senators it would seem, that the banking clan are corrupt and they are selling arms and working with the separatists. So well, I'll pass that over to Chris. Yeah, I'll pass it to you. I think, I think that the, the banks always have a little bit of autonomy um, during wartime <laughs> to, to fund who they want. I mean, if you go back into our own history... It's kind of shocking that there were banks in in England and America that were funding the the Nazis during World War II. And we did try to do something about it, but um, you can't always do that because it will shut down the economic system, which you absolutely need running in order to fuel the war machine. And then you have to look at who's running the Republic. It's Palpatine. And obviously Palpatine has a lot to gain by the banking clan um, kind of um, playing both sides against the middle. So if there were any efforts to shut down the banking clan or at least banish them from the Republic coming from the good senators, the, the, the good portion of the Senate, like I would expect that probably to come from, from Padme and, and Bale and Mon Mothma, that would be shut down by Palpatine and the rest of the Senate that is under his control. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think you know if if Padme tried to do that, then you know, uh, Senator, um, what's her face, the the one from Camino, Bertoni um, <laughs> uh, uh, or something, uh, Hallie Hallie Bertoni, yeah. uh, would would try and filibuster and you know stop the whole thing from happening. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with Chris. I think it's just there are too many corrupt senators and too many ignorant senators to actually you know kick the trade federation or the banks out and that's due in large part to the fact that you know palpatine controls both of them um <laughs> whether you know officially or unofficially but you know sith lord of the galaxy manipulating both sides of the war he's got a lot of pull and so he can make the the payments that need to be done to corrupt certain senators and then he can keep pulling the wool over the eyes of the of the ones that are too stupid to know what's going on <laughs> and and so yeah that's that's what I think. Um, something we've we've talked about a little bit in the past is is going back to Anakin and Padme's relationship. Um, is who knows about it? Because we got that scene where Yoda, Mace, and Obi Wan are all standing around the uh, the war room, and Anakin comes running in, and and they're asking him to convince Padme, and he makes the statement that he didn't know about Rush Clovis, and, and Yoda sort of says to him. Hmm, no personal matters of the senators these are why know them why would you and and you know obi-wan kind of gives them a look and it seems to go right past mace like mace doesn't notice at all so mace knows do nothing guys, anyway guys... don't worry about that guy yeah. a sith lord yeah. in episode three i mean come on he's where is he in this war that's what i want to know said's not right anyway carry on dominic <laughs> yeah well, i was just gonna say i mean out of those three do we think just Obi-Wan knows? Does Yoda know? And does Mace know? Uh, Kieran, I'll throw it to you first. I think he just gave your answer on Mace there. <laughs> yeah, forget about Mace Windu, as I said. He doesn't know. He, he just doesn't know what the hell is going past him. So 
I'll end that right there. Otherwise, I'm going to go on a massive rant about it. Uh, Yoda and, and Obi Wan. Uh, Yoda, I think Yoda is starting to, to suspect at this point, as you said with his his quote there. I won't do his his Yoda voice, but he's saying, yeah, these are personal matters of the senator. Why why is Anakin supposed to know about this? He, okay, they have been acquainted with each other in the past, but that should be it. A Jedi is not supposed to form any attachment, so why should he know about Padme's past? So I reckon that's why Yoda's beginning to suspect. Um, but um, Obi Wan, I would say, knows. He, I think I think he's always had an inkling from Episode Two. I don't think he knows the full extent, but I'm sure he knows something is going on between the two. And I think what's good about Season Two and what we'll come on to very, uh, later in the Mandalorian arc is how he can glean as an audience member, that Obi-Wan understands Anakin's position a lot more than any other Jedi in the Order because of his past with Satine, as we'll go and talk about later. So I think that really helps Anakin's cause in that respect, that Obi-Wan doesn't tell on anyone. He keeps it to himself. And I genuinely believe that Obi-Wan has known since Episode 2 not the extent of marriage, but he has known something's up. So I'd say... Obi-Wan knows, Yoda's beginning to suspect, Mace Windu's just oblivious to everything around him, so no. <laughs> um, I'll pass it over to you, Chris. Yeah, do you have another Bachelor reference <laughs> for us for this answer? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this this one I think is is uh, fairly straightforward, and um, that's I, I think that Obi-Wan just assumes that Anakin has the same type of relationship as Padme that ha- he has with Satine, one where there's mm-hmm. clearly at least a lot of interest in one direction and possibly, you know, mutual interest, but they, they haven't really taken the next step yet, and uh, Obi-Wan clearly is is trusting Anakin to do the right thing and, you know, not live a, 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 a lie. And if he truly does want to be with Padme, to say, eh, Obi-Wan, I, I've decided to uh, leave the order. And, um, <laughs> of course, he didn't. And I think that's what Obi-Wan kind of figured out at the end. He's like, oh, crap, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think he actually knew that, you know, <laughs> they, they were married or anything close to that because I, I mean this is out of universe but I asked this question of the voice actor who um, plays Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars Mr. James Arnold Taylor and uh, he told me uh, what relationship <laughs> when I asked him <laughs> so um, he, he, he at least is under the opinion that Obi-Wan either doesn't know or if he does he's not going to let it affect his judgment in any way and he's just going to keep it buried down as a secret Mm. um and so it's not really going to alter the story any whether he knows or not deep down which again you'd think he would be very dumb not to um so that's that's him and as far as like yoda is concerned um i I don't think yoda even concerns himself with things as trivial (laughs) like he yoda's just gonna assume that there's this stuff going on in the jedi order and it's, uh, it really doesn't have anything to do with the big picture usually. I mean, they're, they're, they're a bunch of monks, and, you know, <laughs> once in a while they're going to go down to the village and, you know, fraternize. <laughs> so so I, think, I think that's where Yoda's at with, with Anakin. You know, he's just like, oh, Anakin, he's this 20-some-year-old dude. You know, let him have his fun while he's, while he's young. Care if I do not. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you get, you kind of get that impression that Yoda is kind of like, you know, live and let live. Would you know, as long as it's not causing problems, it's fine. Whereas Mace Windu is like, rules must be followed, and if you don't follow them, I'm kicking you out of the Jedi yeah, Order. Yep. And, and you know, that's why that's he's kind of second in command yeah. and not first in command. There, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you need someone a little bit more hippie for yeah for the top of the Jedi, I guess. Um, but yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next episode. We can come back to um, more about this episode at the end, but we are on a bit of a time constraint, so I want to move on to the episodes uh, Landing at Point Rain and Weapons Factory. We're going to kind of break this episode up into three parts. So, Kieran, do you have episode descriptions for Landing at Point Rain and Weapons Factory? I do indeed, Dominic. Landing at Point Rain, Anakin, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Kiadi. Giardi Mundi, lead of landing party to destroy a droid factory on Geonosis. And weapons factory, Luminara and Anakin act as decoys to divert new enemy super tanks, while Padawans, Barris Offi and Ahsoka attempt to destroy a separatist droid factory. Alright, so let's jump in with, let's start with Giardi Mundi, because he's a, a Jedi that we'd only really seen, say, a few lines sitting on the Jedi Council, and then he gets shot in Episode 3, and <laughs> That's all we really got to see of him. So we, this is our first real look at his character, what he's actually like. Um, do you live up to your expectations, or did you have any expectations to begin with? And what do you think of his character? So, Chris, I'll ask you first. Um, this is one of the things that I absolutely love about the Clone Wars series, the ability to focus in on or just involve characters that we barely got to know in the films, and, and Ki-Adi Mundi is a good example. Um, I actually wish that he was used a little bit more in the series. I feel like he's one of the more underused Jedi still in Star Wars, even after um, we've seen two Clone Wars series that, that featured him a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, Spin-off. <laughs> exactly. He's a very interesting and intriguing character. I mean, I remember as a kid... Um, when Attack of the Clones came out, because uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew about him from uh, the the. the uh, he, w- I believe he was in Phantom Menace for like a second, like maybe two seconds. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But for some Are reason, I didn't. Okay, I, think... <laughs> I didn't really start thinking about the Jedi deeply until Attack of the Clones. For some reason, so when like all the information about Attack of the Clones came out and all the backstories for the Jedi. And I learned that he had like two brains in his head, and that's why he yeah oh, that's wow. why his head's so big because he literally has two brains, <laughs> um, and I think he has like two hearts, one for each brain or something too. But that's like crazy. And that's just um, sneaking off to who though. I'm not having. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that's how Kiadi Mundi survives and will be a character in Episode Seven. He regenerated. Yeah, and yeah he, could he be the new Doctor and, Who? And, new Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, have you noticed that Peter Capaldi and, and Kiadi Mundi look very similar? Hmm. If he's got two brains, we know who it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I was very intrigued with the character. You know, when I learned that, I'm like, well, this is something that's kind of really unique to Star Wars. Um, a character with like two brains and and his big domed head, and he looks very different than everyone else. Um, which is something to say in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so so I think it's absolutely fantastic that they shine the spotlight a little bit on him. And I think this episode, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, 
I feel like this episode was one of a few homage episodes to Lord of the Rings and and Star Wars. Really? Yes. Um, I mean, there's specific. There's specific. <laughs> I have to seen it. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, there's specific I haven't, I haven't references seen Indiana to Jones. it. Like, um, for instance, the whole count thing, the kill count thing with um, yeah, the characters. That's fair. Yeah, that's it, that's that's, fair. that's, yeah. that's from Lord of the Rings, and and I remember there was a, a video that came out, um, with I think uh, a behind the scenes video on StarWars.com that talked a little bit about the, the the relationship between this and Lord of the Rings, um, at the time. And I, all my Lord of the Rings fans, I told them to watch this episode um, when it aired <laughs> um, for many reasons, not just because it, it, it kind of referenced Lord of the Rings a little bit, but also it's a showcase episode, I feel, for this, mm. for this series. And if you really want to, if you want to bring this series to a general audience and not just people who are really obsessed with Star Wars, this is a great episode to show them because it has all the elements of a great action mini film. Um, mm. And so, and one of them is having a lot, a large cast of characters who all are given a little bit of spotlight and a little bit of depth to their character in just 22 minutes. And that one of those is without question, Mr. Kiati Mundi. Absolutely. Um, Kieran, what'd you think? I really enjoy Kiati Mundi's character at, at, at his inauguration appearance in, uh, in the Clone Wars. I can't say the same at the end, but. We're not talking about the end. So, Kiani <laughs> Mundi, he is very, very um, interesting because, I mean, you say he didn't have that much screen time, but he said more than any other council member, didn't he, on the, <laughs> in, in the film? He said more than Plogo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he said more than Luminara, and we'll get on to her later because I've got a lot to say about Luminara. But anyway, back to Kiani Mundi. Uh, Kiani Mundi, I thought he was... He, was, um, he, he, he certainly was of the... Irk of Obi Wan, and um, when I say Obi Wan in, in that irk, I'm thinking of that line when he says, "There's no such thing as luck." I think he's very principled, and he didn't stray away from the Jedi Order. But at the same time, at the end, he he is quite informal as well. That he, he, he when he, when he talks about that kill count at the end, and he says like, "Oh, 65," and and he, it is something that I wouldn't expect of him when I when I've seen him briefly. Uh, transiently in in the films, so I, I I definitely enjoyed his character a lot, I have to say, and I I thought that his uh, it, it just it had a combination of all of these elements from that that disposition that I can see from the likes of Anakin and Obi Wan, and he was willing to bring in the flamethrowers, you know, there was just something about him that <laughs> I really. It really worked, I guess, and I, I agree with Chris completely. I think there should have been more episodes of Kiadi Mundi, just to see more about his backstory, because as much as I'm talking about his disposition here, I still don't know a lot about him. I don't think any anyone really does. We know that he's on the council. We know he's involved in the war, but he has. we, we don't know how, how he's got there. Uh, we don't know anything about his apprentices, for example. We know um, Yoda's apprentice, Count Dooku. We even know Luminara's apprentice and Plo Koon, but we don't know... Enough about Kiadi, I would say, in in these in in this short period, anyway. But let alone in the series as a whole. So, what do you think, Dominic? What about Kiadi? Sure. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the episode, I didn't think I was going to like him, to be perfectly honest, because you know he Lawrence says, "Good luck, General," and he goes, "There's no such thing as luck." <laughs> oh, oh, great! Another one of those. <laughs> well, you know. And then you know, as the episode goes on, he starts to you know grow on you, and you know with the. the 
flamethrowers and, and all that awesome stuff. And then at the end, when they're doing the the, the kill count, um, and he you know he gives his score, I just thought, oh, that's so great. So he's sort of he's got the you know a bit of a Luminara type exterior, but on the interior he's got the heart yes. of an Anakin Skywalker, yes. <laughs> and I loved that, and I thought that was really great. So I I, I came to like Kiyadi Mundi over the episode, over the, the stretch of the episode. Now, I've, we're going to go back to one of Chris's Lord of the Rings references, which is the, the kill count. And uh, I'm curious as to what you guys think of that, because, you know, we have Anakin and, and, and Ahsoka and Ki-Adi Mundi, who are supposed to be these Jedi, and, and they're not supposed to like killing. And I guess you can say, well, it's droids, so it's not really killing. But is this really something a Jedi should be counting? You know, it's it's one thing if it's just if it's a, a dwarf and a um and an elf <laughs> and and they don't have any you know sort of code that they're supposed to live by <laughs> that the Jedi are. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 on the one hand, I love it. I think it's a lot of fun for the episode. But on the other hand, it's kind of like is is this, isn't this also kind of what's wrong with the Jedi Order? Kieran, what do you think? We could say that we're dealing with a Jedi Order here, but we're dealing with Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano, who are completely unique in the Jedi Order, because there's been no Jedi like them from what we've seen on screen in the past. Anakin's being trained at seemingly an an old age, even though he's 10 years old, but that's neither here nor there. And obviously Ahsoka's being trained by Anakin, one in a war zone, but also just being taught by this idiosyncratic Jedi, which is Anakin Skywalker. And note, undoubtedly, they have different methods and, I guess, different personalities to the rest of the Jedi Order. And in a way, I, I think it doesn't showcase what's wrong with the Jedi Order. I think, I, I mean, when I say it doesn't showcase, I mean, on their part, I mean... The fact that the Jedi aren't able to evolve is kind of the impression I'm getting. Because Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano, they're they're two new, uh, you know, two new, I guess, I'm trying to think exactly of the word, just um, new new people that have been met, that have been put forward into the Jedi Order and, and have really, in a way, nothing in common with the rest of them, particularly in their, in their <laughs> principles. And... So I could I could totally see how the Jedi would find that completely different, and really the fact that they can't adapt themselves to Jedi is is what I believe is more the downfall of this of this of this war that they 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 desperately try to hold on to their principles, and obviously it's never it's you can't win this war. We know that because Palpatine's uh, his machinations and manipulating everything, but I just I just, I just think. Uh, that because Ahsoka Tano and Anakin Skywalker are two unique uh, conceptions that have been introduced to the Jedi, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. I just think it's something that the Jedi are unable to uh, ascertain and deal with. That's my personal viewpoint in that long-winded run that it kind of made sense, but didn't. <laughs> anyway, I'll pass it on to Chris, see if he can make more sense than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I feel like if, if the... Um... Jedi Order were made up with of Jedi who were just like Anakin and Ahsoka. I think they would have the upper hand in this war without question. But then when you got back to peacetime, you would have a problem. Um, because the Jedi are built to maintain and sustain peace in the galaxy, and they're defenders of peace, and that's what they're supposed to be. 
and they're not supposed to be warriors, not at this point, whereas Anakin and Ahsoka really are are warriors. However, Ahsoka, you know, starts to question that as we move forward in the series, and that will be a recurring theme as as you guys start, you know, reviewing these episodes going forward. Um, but Anakin, without question, is completely entrenched in that mindset. I mean... Look at look at from the reason why he wanted to be a Jedi in the first place. He wanted to free all the slaves. He is a very active. <laughs> he, he has a very active reason for wanting to be a Jedi. It's not just to sit around and be on guard detail all the time. You know, he wants to be proactive. <laughs> he wants to go after you know Zam Wessel um, and Attack of the Clones. Yeah, you know, um, launched an investigation himself. Um, uh, all all all, <laughs> all this stuff. Um, and so he's very different. But but if you get to a point where there's not a conflict, then he's going to be very restless and he's going to cause problems and you're going to end up with different factions and, and infighting and uh, then the whole thing's going to have to get purged out um, by people like Mace Windu and, and Luminara who are better at, at sticking to, to protocol and, and rules um, to keep stability. Um, so it's kind of like a... It's it's an unfortunate trade-off, and yeah, without question, that is the game that the Sith are playing. They're like, okay, the Jedi are a little bit, you know, there's this, this little error in their thinking where they are the most powerful people in the galaxy, yet on top of that, their power is extremely prohibited by their ethics. And so mm-hmm. it's the interplay. Really, really, the prequels is about is about trying to push the Jedi into a corner where they have to kind of throw away their ethics to um, exert the full amount of their power to, in the end, um, reach the end that they want through whatever means, and it destroys them in the process. And I think the, this arc, the Geonosis arc, is very important in showing the the different ways that the Jedi handle this predicament that they're in um, emotionally and how it affects their behavior. And the kill coin... The kill count is an example of, you know, the Jedi who are able to embrace the warrior lifestyle, and even mm. though they are killing droids, but they, again, they're not just killing droids. This this arc was big because it was they, they, this is the first arc where a lot of living beings and the Geonosians got slaughtered. Um, mm. So uh, this was actually uh, a lot of people when the, when this arc came out were, were like, okay, this this just shows is really taking a dark turn because you actually have a species. That is getting slaughtered in battle, not just not just droids. Um, just exactly. Just so droids, yeah. yeah. So um, I think that the, this episode shows these episodes show the interplay between that and Anakin and and Ahsoka are an example of more of the warrior uh, warrior approach for the Jedi that that can brush off something like this and make a joke out of it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with with pretty much everything you just said there. Yeah, I was, the only thing I was going to bring up is, you know, it it is they're they're just killing droids, but then yeah. <laughs> you point out, nope, there's Geonosians in this one. So any other battle, I think I think it's okay because it is just robots that they're killing. But and it would be, it would be a lot more disconcerting if if they were you know, if this were Umbara and they were killing just the Umbarans. You know, it's it is that sort of thing, and then it's again shows the Jedi. How the Jedi are forced to adapt to become something they don't want to be, and and because that happens, you get Darth Vader yep. out of it, and well, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> um, 
we also we, one thing we get to see about this in this episode that was very interesting is that we get to see we see Obi Wan Kenobi Obi Wan Kenobi he's sort of the the pinnacle of all Jedi when we think of them him and Yoda and he goes down he goes down hard <laughs> he was he looked like he was you know on the verge of death in in that shuttle crash or not shuttle um gunship crash um and I I don't know I just wanted to bring it up because it was it was very you know I was kind of with Ahsoka in this is like no no you can't focus on the battle we have to worry about Obi Wan Obi Wan is hurt we got to get to Obi Wan um, I, 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 I don't know I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think that speaks to the power of these characters because I really credit the Clone Wars for for enhancing my appreciation of Obi Wan Kenobi because. Yeah, you see him in the prequel trilogy, he's always arguing with Anakin. And you see him in the original trilogy, he's um, telling us, as Sabine would say, uh, Satine, <laughs> these Mandalorians confused already, um, Satine uh, would say he's half-truths and hyperbole, um, you know, with a certain point of view and, and all that. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, and then we – let's just move on to the next episode Unless, unless Chris, actually, I want to hear all of your Lord of the Rings references. I want to, I want to see how this well, plays out. Well, it, it's just in general how um, this was one of the first wide-scale epic battle episodes. Um, so that okay. kind of fits fits with the Lord of the Rings. Because I, I got more of like a yeah, it, it definitely Ryan. has a lot of that kind of like a band of brothers feel to it as as well yeah um and yeah i mean the, the, this episode before before we move on i mean i feel like it pushed the boundaries of this series in so oh, many ways this was the reason why i wanted the blu-ray for this series was to watch <laughs> this episode on the big screen in you know 1080p hd because this was the first episode i felt that was really worthy of that and this was the first episode that had really cinematic battle sequences and explosions and uh uh like there, there was one explosion that was uh there was a behind the scenes video where joel aaron talked about specifically making that just that explosion and how much went into it um, mm. in this episode and there's just so many little parts little scenes where it goes from like iconic scene to iconic scene starting with uh, the 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 assault from the air at the beginning and and that the whole thing with like you know these these bugs can't aim and then boom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's that and then yeah. and then then there's the iconic stand with with obi-wan and we get to see uh the waxer boil again um from the previous season and it's just and then there's that that long shot the assault towards the end that was very long yes. wide shot that that was very unique to to the show and there's just so many pieces of this episode that the flamethrowers that are just really really unique and different and i think really add to the whole star wars canon as a whole and this is the i think this is one of the marquee um showpiece battle episodes of this series yeah absolutely and the other thing is they were able to and put yes. in a lot of humor as well not even not just the the kill count thing but also you know anakin and ahsoka and rex on the top <laughs> of that wall and you know up up and away and you know all of that stuff it was was great um and yeah just just to echo what you said about the show pushing the boundaries i i think um i remember hearing back 
uh, when these episodes were coming out, Dave Filoni, the supervising director of the show, saying, you know, I, I said to George, we can't do this every week. This is something special. And, and you know, it was for, for, for a little while. It was something special. And then all of a sudden we started getting stuff on this, on this quality each and every week. Uh, so let's move on to Weapons Factory. And this, this one is interesting. We see the team up of Ahsoka and Barris, and this is kind of a, an opposites attract um, scenario. And when I say attract, <laughs> I don't mean like oh, no. like in the fan fiction you could read online. This is like the this is like the buddy film, the buddy cop movie, uh, where you have uh, Barris, who's you know all s- smart and focused, whereas you have Ahsoka, who's street smart, and she'll be the one to to think of the way to get out of the situation and, and, and you know, all that stuff. So I'm curious, um, did you guys like the relationship? And the contrast of Ahsoka and Barris, uh, Chris, I'll throw it to um, you first. Yeah, I think this is again more exposition about what we were talking about earlier. How the the Jedi are handling the war in very different ways. And I mean, it's <laughs> uh, we already saw a little bit of this with with Ahsoka and Luminara um, back in uh, season one, where their different season philosophies one. were kind of contrasted with each other, and we're seeing an extension with this. Now that we're we're seeing uh, Luminara's um, apprentice um, a- entering the the mix, and and um, with Barris dealing with with Ahsoka and them having conversations about the different ways that they approach things, and uh, I, I this is this this episode had had a lot of very uh, intense moments, but also a lot of downtime as well for discussion about this stuff, and kind of was a little bit of a breather from. The previous episode in a way because it wasn't quite as fast paced <laughs> um so yeah i think it was very important to start that that relationship and that contrast between Barris and ahsoka because in the end i mean it, as as you see as you continue watching the series it becomes extremely important and one of the core stories in the entire that series that 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 threads it together and this is the beginning of it so um, I, I think that they did they did a great job portraying both characters in a way that that contrasted um, that, and also contrasting their masters as well, uh, Anakin and Luminara and the ways that they approached having apprentice and how they approached attachment as well was was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you brought it up. And uh, do you guys think that the 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 ramifications of this arc or of this episode of them being essentially abandoned uh, or at least abandoned by Luminara, not by Anakin, um, directly um, impacted Barriss's decision to go to the dark side in season five. Uh, Kieran, what do you I think? I would say yes, personally, because having someone like Luminara as as a master, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about her now as well, but having Luminara as a master, just she's so strict and to the book i guess that she constantly knocks barris down whenever she does something wrong is is kind of what i imagine their relationship was like before this that she's had to memorize the catacombs i don't know how many times something like 16 times i mean god <laughs> blimey I, if after the first time you think oh this is annoying ain't it <laughs> this is irritating and i, I really do feel for Barris's character in that respect. And on top of that, right at the end, you know, when really I don't understand what Luminara is thinking is behind this when she's like, be at ease, Skywalker. They're just letting them go. It's too late. It's too late. Well, hang on a minute. The battle's over. They have the manpower. Surely they can get the rubble out and <laughs> save them. And she's like, 
No, no, no. I, I feel them fading. I'm fading. Just luminous beings are we, not this crew batter. You're just like, for goodness sake, Luminara. <laughs> they're alive. They're down there. Please just save them. And oh, that's the bit that bugs me with that. But linking this back to Barisoffi, though, and having someone like that, uh, which is just, again, building upon building this really, I guess, I guess irritation against your master, infuriation. And then this is just like the... The straw that breaks, that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. It, it, it's the one that makes her think, no, that's it. I've been abandoned here. And plus the ramifications of her experiences that she endures in the final part of this arc, it really just all conglomerates, combines together to make her really start to, whether wake up's the right word, but really start to believe that the Jedi Order um, is not what it once was and she in turn decides to go to the dark side that's my discernment of how Barris is going to has fallen because obviously we don't see her um or or have an arc dedicated to her like this until the end of season five yeah yeah absolutely i i agree with you that at the very least it was sort of piling on to uh, a long list of grievances that Barris feels and you know i in a way, you know, when Barris was talking about the Jedi Order in season five, uh, I mean, we're not talking about season five right now, but uh, she was kind of right. Um, and this is sort of an example of this. And, you know, Anakin says later on in in the arc, at the end of the of Brain Invaders, he says to Ahsoka that it's the Jedi's job to save as many lives as possible. And so you have <laughs> Luminar, there are two more lives that can be saved by just, you know, lifting this rubble, which you're going to have to do anyways why is she opposed to it? I, I don't know. Maybe she thought, oh, this is my chance to teach Anakin a lesson about how to actually be a Jedi instead of, you know, focusing on, on, on trying to save everyone all the time. You know, we can teach him about letting go. This is, you know, her trying to overstep her limits, which is, seems like something she she does. Um, you know, anytime we see her, you know, she tries to face Ventress alone. That was a bad idea. Um, she... You know, it's gonna let Barris and Ahsoka die, and then she goes off looking for Poggle on her own in the middle of a sandstorm. <laughs> again, not the best idea. She's she's kind of piling onto her own mistakes. That she, you get the sense that she's she thinks she's smarter than everybody else when really, um, you know, we we've seen Jedi that could probably. You know, anyone, you know, Ayla Secura, uh, Kiaidi Mundi, Plo Koon, any of these other Jedi <laughs> would have taken a different approach to this sequence. I and think. just to quickly butt in there uh, before yeah. I let Chris say anything, but yeah, but, go ahead. but again, it just is amplified when <laughs> Kiaidi Mundi goes and says, um, oh, we should we should trust in her, that Luminara is not one to take unnecessary risks. Well, his, <laughs> that line there just seems so unconvincing and and so implausible and dubious. I mean, how many risks has she taken in this arc alone? Let, let alone, as you said, with the, the whole Ventress story there, going, going in alone. And if it weren't for Ahsoka, which she to- who she told to stay and not come and help her, she she, she would not be here right now. Oh, dear. Right, Chris, you go on. Otherwise, I'm going to be ranting on for however long. Uh, well, I, I think deep down... No one is so cold uh, as to not care about their, their apprentice to, to that to that extent. And I think it has sure. to do with self-regulation that Luminara has, where anytime she feels any inkling of attachment, she's going to deny it and, and push it away. And 
Exactly. Well, she, she says as much. She says, you know, I, unlike you, Skywalker, I'll be ready to let my apprentice go. Exactly. At the time, but the, the at point the is that she comes. doesn't want to. That's just her. That is just her reaction. <laughs> sure. That either she's been taught <laughs> by her master, or she has learned to ha- adapt herself um, over time as as the best method to deal with her own personal emotions. So of course she's probably feeling a lot of attachment. She's like she's right like Anakin in her head like oh my gosh you got to do something but because of the way that she's trained herself to react to her her um instincts she's she's just going to push it away and say no this is this is not right i need to ignore these feelings i have because it it, it doesn't serve the greater good as she sees it um so and sure. then she's going to overcompensate for that by acting very cold and and detached <laughs> in front of other people um like like someone that, uh, uh, who's very different from her like Anakin she's going to try to match his intensity by maybe even being a little bit um colder than she would with with anyone else um so i think that's what you're seeing from her character if you kind of break down the psychology of it and why she does <laughs> act the way she does Sure. I think that makes perfect sense. And, you know, this series is called The Clone Wars. I think it could very much be called The Extended Look at How the Jedi <laughs> Fell because these are all the, these are all the reasons why the Jedi fell. Oh, because, you know, they weren't they, you know, they were too focused on being unattached that they weren't ready to save them. I mean, again, just, just to, to add mean, to yeah. that, um, look at Empire Strikes Back and the interplay between Yoda and Luke when Luke sees the vision of his of his friends on, on Cloud City. It's 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 the same thing. Yoda's like, oh, you know, just just don't worry about it. You don't know the future is always in motion. Well, I, I'm <laughs> going to push back a little bit on that because I, I disagree because I think Yoda in that scenario – is in first off, he's in sort of this is the the Hail Mary pass mm. to use a, a football <laughs> that's American football, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, not soccer. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know, he's serving, he's in a completely desperate situation. Luminar, on the other hand, has just won a battle. Um, but leave, leaving that aside, you know, Yoda is telling Luke, you know, if you honor what they fight for, yes, you're going to let them go, yeah, because he knows that it's there's a very good chance that it's a trap. <laughs> and so he's trying, you know, his, his coldness is not so much, you know, he's not reacting to, you know, Luke's over eagerness so much as, you know, saying, look, there's a very good chance that if you go, you will die and you will ruin our chance for peace or, you know, something worse could happen and you could go to the dark side and that makes things even, even worse. And so because of that, he's telling him, don't go, to find Han and Leia because your friends are doomed uh, because your friends are doomed. And if they are doomed, um, you know, that mm. may just be part of the yeah, process this, to this get is, peace. This is, this and, is true so. to, and to an extent. However, I, I don't really know if Yoda necessarily was quite 100% in the right place in his head at that time, because I kind of got the idea that he was expecting Luke to rise up and, and defeat Darth Vader and defeat the Empire. I mean, you can make endless arguments whether or not it was in Yoda's head that things would play out the way that they would with with Luke actually saving Vader and oh, and sure. defeating him for himself. So, so, I'm sure it so wasn't. basically, that decision started Luke down a different path, where Luke, instead of uh, again being detached and thinking about the big picture and the, the the battle between good and evil going on on the externally on the outside 
he all of a sudden looked internally on the interplay with relationships and and just individual people and the battle between good and evil inside their own hearts and then that dramatically changed his path and the decisions that he made which were vastly different than any jedi before him where he gave himself up and sacrificed himself in the purest way that ended up having the ramifications of changing somebody on the inside which is vader rather than externally on the outside through force which then ended up bringing balance to the force ultimately so it's kind of like there's two different ways to go about it and i think even though yoda had gone through all the stuff we're going to see him go through as this series moves on especially towards the very end um i don't know if he quite quite 100 percent got it that that even the, 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 the greatest battles between the biggest evil and the biggest force for good in the galaxy at, externally mean nothing compared to just the internal conflict in just a, a few souls that are pivotal. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. I, I, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. So I'm trying to figure out where we, um, how to how to, how to respond <laughs> how to argue yeah how to respond how to you know because I, I agree with everything you just said about about yoda and about luke and about how you know i i fully expect that the yoda's plan was to keep luke on dagobah for several years train him up and then when he was what yoda thought was a full and ready jedi um just send him out to kill darth vader and the emperor possibly without even telling him that you know Oh, hey, by the way, Darth Vader is your father. Because if, if you read, um, there's a comic called uh, Star Wars A New Hope Infinities, which is, you know, what would have happened if, uh, I think, it, no, it's, I think actually this is the Empire Strikes Back Infinities. What would have happened if mm. the Death Star hadn't blown up? And so the Death Star doesn't blow up and Luke still winds up going to Dagobah. Um, and he trains with Yoda for several years and then Yoda tells him before he goes to face Vader for the final time. And Yoda actually goes with him to face Vader. Um, you know, Vader is your father. I don't think Yoda was planning on telling him that. Uh, I think Yoda was just expecting him to go in there and kill him. And, you know, because he he sort of goes, you know, when Yoda, Luke tells him in Return of the Jedi, he says, you know, oh, unexpected this is. You know, he didn't expect Vader to take, you know, to pull that card out of his pocket. Um, I, but just to take it back to um, the, the Clone Wars and Luminara, um, it just, um, again, I think Luminara, I, yeah, I guess, I guess, I see what you're saying that, you know, Luminara was kind of looking at Yoda, looking with Yoda at sort of the, the good and bad on sort of the, the macro level instead of looking at the micro level of people's souls. Um, and because she did that, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for as well for her as it did for, uh, did for Yoda, um, in The Empire Strikes Back. So yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I still think, I, I don't know if it, that's quite the same scenario, because I do think Yoda had slight, or had different yet similar, um, mo- motivations, you know, based well, on Well, there's just, there's just ripple trap. effects of... <laughs> In the force that we don't obviously it's not even completely explained how this works and it's not something that needs to be explained because it's completely intangible. It's not scientific or it's beyond philosophical. It's completely metaphysical like the ripple effects of doing the right thing. It, it sounds weird, but it's 
true. Where yeah. we clearly, as a viewer, think he did the right thing by saving Ahsoka and, and Barris instead of letting them go like Luminara wanted him to do. And the ripple effects we see of that is, are both very positive and very negative because because if they had both died, yeah, we wouldn't have seen Barris go crazy, you know, at the end of the series. But then we would have lost <laughs> all of the things that Ahsoka would have done as well. And how would that change things? Would it have it, it made the galaxy much worse off? We 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 don't completely know because Ahsoka's story hasn't even been finished being told yet. So it's like making a decision like that. If you're coming from the right place, it's going to have just ripple ripple effects that that are that you can't even foresee that are just going to a- amplify good. I, I feel. And so that's something that the the Jedi kind of, especially women are kind of ignoring when they're just looking at protocol and just overall what's best for the group. I'll tell you what, Chris, I think you're the first person that's made me convince not to detest Luminara as much as I have done in the past. <laughs> because actually, you raised an interesting concept there that I didn't didn't think about before. When you said um, about about the implications of of saving both Barris and and Ahsoka. Well, when, when Luminara went and said that it, it is her time, in a way, oh, it sounds, I can't believe I'm agreeing with her, but she, she had a point because when Barris uh, emerged out of that uh, destroyed weapon, super weapon, um, she, she then started her path onto the dark side and in the process ended up, causing a lot of damage to the Jedi Order, nearly getting a so well, leading Ahsoka to get kicked out of the Jedi Order. It was it was the catalyst at least. And obviously for the Jedi Order, having the Jedi turn to the dark side is not gonna be a positive thing really, is it? So you know, in a way, when she's saying that it was her time, not it, 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 it was it, it's true. weird because yeah. because it I was agree. true in a way. Yeah, because if she had died, then there wouldn't have been well we I know this is obviously they might put someone else in there, but it wouldn't have been Barris at least. Barris is the one who was the one who turned to the dark side, and she didn't turn to the dark side. It might have been a saving grace that she just died as as a Jedi. It, it, it's true. I'm not advocating that, but it, yeah, it's, I think de- it's definitely true. But again, if you're talking hypotheticals, I mean, I think this is the last one we should probably talk about before we move on. <laughs> but um, just, just to say this, this, this scenario, let's say that that Ahsoka ends up dying. Let's say Anakin, then his path to the dark side, dark side is <laughs> dark side. <laughs> to the dark side, I like dark, that. Yeah, the dark side <laughs> is accelerated, and then he doesn't end up impregnating Padme beforehand, and we end up with no Luke and no redemption. <laughs> so there you go. Then <laughs> we're all just screwed. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that. But I think just all right. On this medical situation, had Rush Clovis just died in this arc, then maybe, maybe this relationship between Anakin and Padme wouldn't have got so intense, and it wouldn't have been as as bad. And maybe they could have just stayed broken up. Oh, I don't know. But I, I, I think we're just all saying I'll detest, or at least I am, for Rush Clovis and Luminara, but. Yeah, we better, we better move on now because otherwise we're going to be here a long time, a long time. 
I, I definitely think that this sort of all of this hypothetical stuff is a, is a fascinating discussion for another day. I, I think we just came up with a great idea for a future uh, Star Wars Underworld podcast, Chris. One week where we don't have much news to talk about, we'll just go through hypotheticals. Um, yeah, let's let's, see, let's move on to the the next episode. So there's uh, you know, they destroyed the the tower. The Padawan survive all that stuff. Uh, let's move on to the next episode. So let's jump into Legacy of Terror and Brain Invaders. And so, Kieran, do you have uh, the episode descriptions? Yeah, for Legacy of Terror. When Luminara goes missing on the hunt for Poggle the Lesser, Obi Wan and Anakin lead a platoon of clones in search of her. When the search leads to a mysterious lair, the Jedi are faced with a horde of undead Geonosian warriors and Brain Invaders. To finish off. When Geonosian brainworms take control of their supply ship, Ahsoka and Barris must battle to stop the vessel from unleashing a deadly plague upon the galaxy. Yes. So, um, this is the first time we've really sort of seen horror Star Wars episodes, you know, or really anything. Because, I mean, there was the Death Troopers book that I think came out just before these episodes. Um, but, you know, and so... I'm curious as to what you guys think is, uh, towards you know the melding of, of Star Wars and the horror genre, um, and, and similarly along the same lines, uh, the inclusions of, of zombies of, of zombies in the Star Wars, uh, if, if you like that idea or not. Because I mean, personally, I you know I, I like the concept of, of zombies, you know, in in other franchises. You know, I like it in you know in, in Walking Dead or, or Twenty Eight Days Later or all of that kind of Shaun stuff. Shaun of the Dead. But when they're in Star Wars, yeah, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> but when they're in Star Wars, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit iffy on it. So first, um, you know, the horror genre, and secondly, zombies in Star Wars. Kieran, I'll, I'll yeah, I think we first. have to put our 2009, 2010, 2010, <laughs> 2010. <laughs> so, so so far we've had uh, Panikin, the Darth side. <laughs> And 2010. We're going to write these right. down. We love it. Um, we, we put our mindsets back into 2009, 2010. Uh, this was a very controversial decision that was made by Lucasfilm, actually canonizing the concept of having zombies in Star Wars. And as you said, it doesn't. sometimes it will work in a franchise, sometimes it doesn't. Personally, I think it worked very well in this because we understand how they were conceived, how these were created through these Geonosian worms. And I don't dispute that at all. I think it's actually a really cool idea. And 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 as you said about the, the idea of having these zombies, particularly the G- Geonosian zombies, it really did make this episode so much more, um, I guess, shocking and um, horrific, which, I guess, which, of course, was its intention. But what we see later, um, what the what these worms embody, particularly later in the in these episodes when they um, infect and occupy the clones, and later uh, the Jedi, I, I think it's it's just really interesting the, the underlying themes which are attached to this, which is more than anything else, because I feel like these zombies are more just conduits for um, the themes of such as Order sixty six and the fall of the Jedi more than anything else. And I just think it was a really important, I guess, personification of that fact through having late, starting with the zombie Geonosians and later with the zombie clones and zombie Jedi. So I just thought that was a really, really cool idea. Um, what, what did you think, Chris? Uh, I think 
one of the strong points of the series is the ability to stray into different genres and um, have kind of like homage episodes to either genres as a whole or specific um, films. And th- this is this is the shining example of this, where it's the story and the universe of Star Wars is flexible enough that you can go into the horror genre like this and have it fit so well within the rest of the galaxy. Um, so I, I really like this. I mean, I, 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 as someone who's you know older when I was watching this, um, I mean, I enjoyed. I enjoy edgy things a little bit more than I would have when I, I was like 10. So if I was a kid, it probably would have really <laughs> freaked me out because I remember being freaked out by some when, when Scooby-Doo did did zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie <Yeah>. Island. <laughs> um, so uh, so I but but I mean, I also was probably pretty skittish, more skittish than the average kid when I was a kid as well. So um, I think other kids probably would have enjoyed it. Um, and so, but watching it when I was older, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed the homage to the genre in a Star Wars way that, that didn't really stray from the universe too far. Um, Mm. but, but, but was, was, was enough to just put an interesting, fresh twist on things. And I think it provided for a, a lot of unique situations and, and humor, um, that that you wouldn't have had otherwise, and so I think it was a, a great decision. Yeah, it was a, it was a great it was a great decision, and I really <laughs> en- enjoyed the episode. And um, I think it's one of the, one of the a good example of of an homage, a specific genre homage episode in the series as a whole. I completely agree. Just a quick, right, sorry, right. just well, here, sorry. Let's just be quickly button in. I was yeah, just going to add. Yeah. I just want to give you a quick point. When I, I completely agree with you, Chris, uh, when you were saying that, um, that enjoyed having the zombie genre being um, initiated and established into the Star Wars universe. Because what's so good as well about the Clone Wars is that they just established it uh, so effectively, which is e- executed it so effectively. And uh, I couldn't imagine some other genres and some other TV shows falling down at that point thinking zombies and and making them yeah. i guess seem to what's the what the generic perception of a zombie is they're slow and they just eat your brains or something like that but but, but what was good is that they actually were quite <laughs> scary as well and um that the, they made a lot of sense the backstory behind it and i think that's what was important and why it was so effectively executed and really met with a well received um reception by fans Sure, and, and I don't want to get the impression across that I didn't like these episodes. I liked them very much for what they were. I think the, the Geonosians were the perfect choice for the zombies because, or for a horror episode in general because uh, the only thing that ever scared me in Star Wars as a kid was the Geonosians. I remember being freaked out by them uh, when I saw Attack of the Clones for the first time. And and I will say that um, these zombies, I, I don't mind so much. I, I, I have some issues with the whole um, bringing back the dead in a way that isn't a force ghost because the, the bringing back the dead is supposed to, to me, or, or, you know, surviving somehow beyond your physical form is supposed to be a, a Jedi trait. And I'm sort of thinking about it now, it's not so much that people are surviving, you know, they're not really, they don't remember who they are. And so, you know, with, with these zombies, with the brain worm and, and stuff, I, I kind I like that because there's sort of, there's a, there's a sciencey explanation to it. 
And whereas, you know, it's these worms that have gone into the brain and are taking over and just sort of, it's the worms that are yeah. alive inside the, the, the dead body. Whereas with the Night mm. Sister magic, I didn't like it so much because I, I think the Night Sister magic is the force. And again, we're jumping ahead to season four. I think Night Sister magic is the force and I don't like that that's something the force can do. <laughs> I don't think that, that, I think that's stretching it a bit far because that, but then, you know, it is, Night Sister magic is a, you know, perverted use of the force so um i don't know i, I i'm i'm kind of on the fence about it to, to be perfectly honest I, I i don't hate it but at the same time i also don't think it, it, it you know i never would have gone into the series thinking you know what i would have loved to see a zombie episode i think zombies and star wars is the perfect thing. it's not something I and i, I think this would have been vastly more popular if it had come out later because this was before the Walking Dead craze really took off. I mean, mm. this is back in what yeah. it was two thousand nine, <laughs> I wanna say. Two thousand nine. Yeah, two two thousand and nine, November two thousand yes. nine. So that that was definitely I think before the Walking Dead even started. I mean it was just in comic book form back then. So it really hadn't have it didn't take yeah. off yet. And so I think it, it would have gotten a, a, maybe more attention if it if it would have been released now. Yeah, Clone Wars. Ahead of <laughs> and its also, time, just, to, just to finish always. on this zombie point, uh, <laughs> I feel what makes more sense in in this particular arc, more than anything else, is that they're not your typical undead. These are worms, which at first are controlled by this Queen Geonosian, uh, Queen is it Queen Karina, if I'm correct, and she's the one who is really controlling all of this and these worms are going into the geonosian hive which again she is in control of uh, and influencing and they are re- then reanimating these bodies to do her bidding these are conduits from her mind so these are exacting and performing her tasks through these worms once she's dead those worms don't have a host anymore, and they have to go onto these living sentients, which are the clones and the Jedi, in order to take form, a new, in order to take a new form uh, and become the host of some of, of a living sentient instead, because that queen has been, because the queen has been destroyed, and so they have no one to, I guess, control them in a way. That's kind of what I'm seeing from this. And then once they've destroyed these Geonosian worms, I personally believe that they can't then be reanimated the geonosian hives and more importantly geonosis shouldn't come back a third time but you never know you never know <laughs> never know that, that might have been a story plot for season seven um yeah well you, you brought up the queen that was going to be my next <laughs> my next topic so i chris i'll throw it to you what, what did you think of the queen i mean she, i thought she was yes. you know, voiced brilliantly by d bradley baker perfectly nice and creepy and, and yeah all that she stuff. was so, really you know, um, you really freaky i mean the the, the clone wars has brought us uh, some very very unique characters starting with zero the hut <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's there's been a, a, quite a few of them, and, and, and uh, uh, the queen I think is is a, a good example of one of those just characters that is vastly different, and and using the the um, ability that they have inside the Star Wars universe to like make a an a gigantic alien uh, bug thing. <laughs> um, and it, here, here's the thing though, I mean, it, it would have been kind of <laughs> cheesy to have her out kind of in in the open 
um, with you know the the sunlight on her, but to have her like in in the in the catacombs like like, like she was, um, with with all the all the, yeah. the dark lighting and the and the creepiness, I think it it just made it made it not not really campy at all. I think it could have been very campy if they had done it wrong, um, but I, I feel like it kind of fit in with just the 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 craziness and the the horror and the strangeness of of the elements of, of these episodes, especially um, in the context of the Star Wars universe. So, uh, yeah, and then just, just going off the whole, like, hive mind thing that, that Kieran mentioned, um, that that thing has always fascinated me, how that, that works. And it, Star Wars hasn't really used it a whole lot. I think the Geonosians are one of the only examples, at least that I can think of it in film, there probably might be more in the EU, where you have, like, an alien species with a, a genuine hive mind, and uh, I think that's an interesting element of, of science fiction yeah, the, that they've brought in to the, the, the Star Wars universe. Um, so uh, it's interesting that, that that obviously isn't completely scientifically explained, how, how the worms can communicate with each other and how the queen can communicate with the worms. And I don't know if it necessarily needs to be explained because it's generally something that's accepted as a thing, even, even in, in nature like we we think that bees have the ability to do this. We just don't know how. Like we think it's through chemicals <laughs> or I don't know. So so it's interesting that 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 they're using elements from science and from science fiction um, to tell a story in a way that, that that does hold up. And the parts that don't we don't understand at least we recognize because they're taking it from something else that we accept as as either true or or something another another fictional universe or whatever that we we've heard of before so um i think i think just the whole thing was executed very very well by by the writers and then again we haven't talked really a whole lot about the the voice acting in these episodes but yeah d bradley baker absolutely fantastic Mm. yeah for sure, for sure. I, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, Chris. I, I also agree that it's a, it's a very interesting concept, the, the hive mind. And there was uh, in the mm. the now dead post-Return of the Jedi EU, or Legends, <laughs> as I guess we're now supposed to call it, um, there was a, a, a species like that. And they they started a big war with the Jedi, and they took control of a bunch of the Jedi and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but... That's beside the point because they're not Geonosians, and and yeah, I, I agree with what. Heck yeah, you you said everything <laughs> I was going to say. Damn it, so let's move on. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, one thing I did love in, in this episode was the the banter between Anakin and Obi Wan as they're going into the hive mind. We mentioned a little bit of it earlier. You know, do you think the do you think the uh, you know the, the worm will go in the nose or the ear and, and all that stuff? And I, I love you know Luminaris co- commentary on all of it. Like, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to. I, I don't want to know all this. Stuff. You know, she just just wants to teach her a lesson there. So, um, <laughs> what did you guys think of? of yeah, um, what you guys think of the the Anakin Obi Wan banter in, in this episode? Kieran, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I, first. I definitely enjoyed parts of it, but at the same time, it, I did get the impression as well that it was still. In a way, Obi Wan scolding Anakin. He was still knocking him down, um, particularly when he goes and says, you know, uh, um, I guess phrases like "Anakin, keep your voice down," or <laughs> "Anakin, do you always have to rush into things?" It's just like, come on, you know, this guy's a chosen one. Leave him alone. He's doing the best here. He's doing. He's doing everyone here a great cause, trying to save Luminara. 
Um, and he's just like, you know, don't do this, don't do that. It was just little things like that, I guess, that made me think, oh, Obi-Wan, just try and be level pegging with him. I guess it's because I, I well, we all know what happens in the future, the, the, uh, the breakdown of the relationship. And I'm, I guess, observing and examining the, the seeds of that. And I can see uh, that the continued knock, knocking down and uh, scorning that uh, Obi-Wan places on Anakin as being one of those seeds, in my opinion. And that is, um, I, I, I guess that's what I, I glean from it more than anything else, rather than just the banter. But um, I, I look at it, I'm looking at it more deep than just on the surface, because, yeah, that, that, that's what Star Wars fans do. <laughs> Study the bottom of my boot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I absolutely love that, Chris? and I think that 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 banter is something that it was not in every every Clone Wars episode. I think some of them were written a little bit more strongly than others, and this is one of the ones that I felt like the dialogue definitely added to the episode um, and my enjoyment of it. The, the the humor and and that that banter between the two. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's always going to, that always was Anakin's relationship to Obi-Wan and, and it, it was it all the way, all the way to the end. I mean, it, it, you even go all the way to, to, to the, the last moment that they spend together and you have Obi-Wan bossing <laughs> An- Anakin around saying, you can't strike me down. If you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you could ever imagine. <laughs> You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder he hates him. That's probably why. That's the reason. <laughs> and in, in, yeah. even there, you know, Obi-Wan's kind of ta- taunting Anakin. He's like, hey, only a master of evil, Darth. <laughs> yeah. you know, who, calls, who calls anybody Darth? I've never seen anybody call anybody a Darth except for in that one moment. You know, it's... Yes, we're talking about Maul. We're talking about Tyrannus. We're talking <laughs> yeah. about Sidious. And then there's Darth over there. Oh, dear. <laughs> But poor Anakin, poor Anakin. That's why. Yeah, that's why I'm gleaning from this. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, although I, I think in, in in this episode, some of the banter was less Obi Wan scolding Anakin and more him just trying to stall so he can <laughs> you know get the best look at everything he can and sort of because you know we got to get the sense that he wants to study the worms and he's you know he's trying to figure out the best way to to get one of those while simultaneously saving the day and if that takes you you know. Um, having some banter with Anakin just to, you know, stall the queen or stall the Geonosians long enough for all the clones to get into position and all that, then, you know, it works. I don't know if... I agree with other times it does kind of feel like Obi-Wan is always scolding Anakin. In this one, I felt he was just kind of trying to stall for time and may have come across a bit more <laughs> scoldy, if that's a word. It is now. Um, that, he wants, that he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it is now. Um, let's Let's move on to the the last episode from this arc, Brain Invaders. This is, I, I think this one was sort of, yeah, was scarier um, than than the prior one, it, definitely because you know they're, you know they put them in space. You know, in, in the other episodes, it was, as long as we get to the sunlight, we're good. We can, if we get to the sunlight, we're good. You know, they're underground, so they just have to you know get up. With this one, there's the you know there's nowhere to go. There's the the cold of space, the, um, and. Uh, another really place, place where uh, Star Wars rips off Firefly. Kind of die yeah. and your eyes pop out. No, 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 no. I don't remember. But any there Firefly were a lot of really, 
really crazy <laughs> things that happened um, in space, and there was nowhere to go um, in quite a few episodes. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, no, 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 hang on, man. Yeah, Firefly did not come up with that. That has been around since the dawn of space storytelling. If anything, yeah, everybody it, it, is ripping it, off Star Trek. Dave Filoni was just and watching maybe two thousand and one. I should incorporate this in the Clone Wars. <laughs> Fans who have this Dominic ranting about Firefly. Uh, Dominic is just uh, believes that Firefly ripped off Star Wars, but we all know that that is a load of tosh and rubbish. And um, Firefly is a fantastic series on its own. And I wouldn't be surprised if we talk to Dave Filoni, you'll go and say, "Well, actually, we incorporated all of this from Firefly." <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the rage from Dominic now. <laughs> Calm before the storm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've never seen a program, so I'm just yeah. going along with it. All. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I think, I, I this this concept of of, of space and, and trapped on a ship that's been around. I mean, there was that was. Oh, wasn't that the whole concept of alien? You know, it's it's been around. It's not not ripping off firefly. <laughs> um, <laughs> a- anyways, um, where was I going with this? Okay, so we we, we see um, we see the friendship of of um, Barris and Ahsoka, and, and they're they're kind of they're talking about you know their masters, and, and Ahsoka says really what we've been saying this whole episode that you know uh, Anakin's not going to handle peacetime too well. <laughs> He's going to get bored. And so I, I, I wonder, I, you know, if Ahsoka's a bit more like Barriss and, and other Jedi than we give her credit for, but because she's with Anakin, she feels she has to act a certain way to get, or, or, to, you know, to react with, to, you know, to keep up with him. But she's sort of watching him and going, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. That's really, I, she's... You know, I don't think we could do that, you know, five years from now when this war is over. Do you, do you get that sense that she maybe – she really has a, a very different opinion of Anakin than she would really ever tell anybody other than her uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean Chris, she, and she has good reason to be um, worried about Anakin because we, we see in throughout the series these moments where Anakin clearly is, is manifesting – um, the dark side, it's skirting really close. And you, you've got to think that Ahsoka is probably seeing a lot more than the, the viewers are seeing as well because um, this is a few years that they, they seem to have spent <laughs> together. Um, and this is uh, about towards the beginning or middle of that. But still, she's already seeing stuff. And, I mean, it's true that she's very different because she's being trained by him and she's going to be very different than any other Jedi. However... She has been brought up in Je- the Jedi Temple and mentored by Plo Koon and the like for her entire life almost. So she she ha- she knows what's what what Jedi are supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. Like she does know the rules and she and she knows <laughs> what warning signs are. And I'm sure she's she's seeing them in in, in Anakin. So um, but but again, like. You you see negative traits in in everyone that that you care about, and sometimes they're amplified by the fact that you care about them. And just because you see negative traits doesn't mean that you you dislike them. 
I think that's I think that's a different way of saying our mentors <laughs> yeah. have a way of, of seeing more of our flaws that's than true. we'd like. And, and, and vice <laughs> and like uh, reversed as well. Um, Ahsoka is going to see a lot of flaws in, in her master. I mean, look, think about all the flaws that that Anakin sees in Obi Wan. I mean. <laughs> like Anakin, it's not like in a hostile. I, I think Ahsoka's not like thinking of it hostily, like oh, I need to get out under his thumb, or this guy's a ticking time bomb. I gotta get away from him. Um, it, it, it's more like she cares about him and wants to see him work work through this stuff and and become become a better Jedi and a better man. Yeah. Okay. That's. Fair point. I, I quite like that I point. I a lot of what Chris said think? there, actually, because the the idea that the apprentice wants to better the master is is the same in all, um, okay, in Jedi and both Sith uh, in, in those forms, because obviously they want to, well, the Sith want to overthrow their master, not quite the same as master and apprentice in the Jedi form, but they still want to be in a way better than their master or go on to do better things. Uh, I can remember in episode one when Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan, you'll be a wiser man than I can ever be or something to that effect. And so there is that uh, competition there, I guess. And obviously Ahsoka recognizing the flaws in Anakin is going to be quite lucid because he's been on the, off the deep end quite a lot of the times in the past. But um, this is only from what she's seen of him, though. She hasn't she doesn't know a lot i would argue about his past yet because i look i we're going forward again but when we come later to the the slavers Nigerian arc uh she's in, inquiring and questioning to obi-wan what why is anakin so upset about all of this so she doesn't know uh everything about anakin but from the methods that he's already um used and implemented she is getting an idea of what his lifestyle is like and what it will be like at the climax of this war and as, as we talked about this whole kill count concept how can a warrior then change back into peace times if as chris said as well if the whole jedi order was to embody anakin skywalker how is that going to work after peace time it's not and so she's certainly questioning the judgment of uh, of her master in that respect as well um what do you think dominic Yeah, I, I definitely I agree with what you guys said. Um, I think this is a, a a case where we're all in agreement. I, I think she, she 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 sees her flaws, her master's flaws, and you know she recognizes them and she probably takes them into account and you know takes everything he says with a pinch of salt because she knows that there's a very good chance he could be wrong and that's not the Jedi way of doing this. And you know she obviously has close relations with with other high and high and mighty or high ranking um jedi whether it's obi-wan or plo Koon, and and she sort of sees what they're doing and she can take the best of both and sort of be this super jedi who was able to you know turn her back on the order when she realizes how messed up the order is in season five and then you know who knows what she'll be doing after that you know she could soon <laughs> be joining the cat the crew of the ghost uh, between episodes four and five which um you know dream scenario but uh yeah, so it, um, Barris uh, gets infected with the worm, and she winds up uh, asking Ahsoka to kill her. And now we're not going to get into the hypothetical game again. You know what would have happened if Ahsoka <laughs> killed her? Would she have left the order sooner? Would, would Barris, you know, Barris wouldn't have gone to the dark side. We won't get into that again. Um, but 
uh, you know, Ahsoka sort of feels very tormented by this. And I wonder, what would Anakin have done in this situation? Would Anakin have killed Barriss, or would he have killed, had it been Obi-Wan uh, standing there begging for death? Um, and then what would Obi-Wan have done in that scenario? Like, who was, was, was this something that all three of them would have done the same thing? Or did Ahsoka do something more in line with with Anakin or something more in line with, you know, Obi-Wan or Plo Koon? Um, I Kieran, believe that Anakin would have followed Ahsoka's path and not killed her, whereas I believe Obi-Wan would have done, personally. Because the thing with Obi-Wan is that he's principled and he follows the code of the Jedi Order. Even when he had to face Anakin in episode three, a man who he had called a brother and had been his apprentice for over 10 years, he knew the job that had to be accomplished in spite of that close relationship, that close bond, brotherhood. And he went through the task. He didn't kill him, but he might as well have done it. In fairness, it was quite a torturous death, to say the least, if he was going to leave him like that, (laughs) cut off his legs and let him burn to death. There, have that. Uh, quite brutal actually and dark but the point i'm trying to make is i think obi-wan would have would have carried out his act to the best he could have done whereas i don't think anakin would have but that's just open to interpretation um what what do you think chris yeah i i completely uh, agree and i think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about not necessarily seeing the the bigger picture but looking at you know the, the 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 um the micro scale of things and you have the uh, these episodes are about Ahsoka and Barris forming a bond with each other. That's one of the main subplots of these. And this is the culmination of that bond where Ahsoka takes it upon herself to save Barris when she's completely seems like she's completely gone and taken over by this this thing. And um again, she's does she do the right thing? Well, Maybe she did the wrong thing in 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 the, from a military point of view because again, as you guys said, Varus does end up falling to the dark side and causing a lot of damage. So from a military point of view, that might have not been a good tactical decision to let someone come out of that much trauma um, because you've got to think again that this this trauma probably influenced Varus's d- downfall. I can't imagine it, it not. Um, at least on a subconscious level, even if she doesn't remember what <laughs> yeah. happened. Um, but Ahsoka, you, you don't know what the ramifications would have been if, if, if Ahsoka was forced to kill someone she cared about so much. It, it, it could have really caused her to become cold and detached, and she could have made very different decisions down the road as well and potentially just fallen in line with Luminara and the rest of the Jedi who ended up being being blindsided and, and killed by the by the end of the war. Yeah, 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 very, very true. Um, and again, you know, not to get into the hypotheticals, but like you said, we we just don't know what what the difference would have been. I, I personally think that yeah. this is Ahsoka taking after Anakin more than than Obi Wan. I'm, I, I, I think Anakin... Well, I don't know. I think Obi-Wan was a bad choice of an example. I think if we had taken, say, even Mace Windu or, or, or Luminara, <laughs> Luminara there, you know, they would have... Mace Windu, yes, Mace <laughs> Windu. Mace Windu would have killed her. 
he would have just said, mm-hmm. "Okay, this is the way to this is the way to do it. We got to kill her." Whereas Anakin, you know, if Anakin has a bond with somebody, he he ain't killing them. Um, except Obi Wan, but that's you know, once he turns to the dark side. And again, with Obi Wan, even Obi Wan, he has a bond with, with Anakin. He he couldn't bring himself to you know just go walk up to that body and just turn his lightsaber on into his back and just finish it for good. He had to leave it there, right? Even though, yeah, I mean, Mace Mace Windu is like, uh, okay, so you have a son, so I, you're I shooting do... at me off with your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank God it wasn't yeah, Mace Windu really. as well. He might have mistaken her for being the Sith Lord that he just a, that epiphany moment when he stabs her. A Sith Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it's the second. <laughs> That's it. War's over. <laughs> you were just with the apprentice. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is a wig, isn't it? It is. Oh man. Uh, Poor Mace. Mace gets so oh, much well. crap on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Um. So, so, so that's 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 all I've got for these episodes. Do you guys have anything else you would like to bring up from any of the five episodes we've um, just yeah, been I guess through? Two Karen? things which relate to the last one. Um, first of all, re- related to the the I guess underlying. Oh, point or not underlying the underlying theme i should say of the final episode you can clearly glean it's it's order 66 and can you appreciate more now um now from seeing this order 66 arc um that that it's really the clones who have been i guess indoctrinated and infected whether it was by this worm or whether it would be later by a chip uh, forcing them and compelling them to do and perform tasks that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. It's just the Order 66 concept, really. Yeah. That, that's, that's an interesting point. It's, it's sort of... It is almost foreshadowing that, you know, there are these... The chips inside their heads are what's sort of stopping them from killing the Jedi. And then when they put the worms in, there's always the clones, you know, as much as they like to think they're free thinkers, they really aren't. Because as soon as something gets in their nose or in their brain... They're they're doomed, and it was an interesting bit of foreshadowing. And I, of course, there's the great line: you know, "If there's one thing we clones know, it's how to stop a Jedi." And I, I think I know what this, the second. Uh, Chris, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you go if you have anything. No, not, to say nothing about specifically that. about that. Because I was about to. Okay, okay. Because there was, I, I'm sure this was this is what you were going to bring. The second thing you were going to bring up, Kerry. Because as soon as I said, "Oh yeah, that's that's it," I remembered I had one more. The one last thing that we would be very remiss if we didn't talk about, which was Anakin yeah, second point. <laughs> and just the hint of the Imperial March. Yeah, and the hint of the Imperial March as he uh, as he did that. Um, you know, it's again, it's just it's foreshadowing of Anakin, and it's it's Anakin of doing, you know, doing things his way, which is ultimately leads him down the the dark path. Yeah, uh, what, definitely, what do you think of that scene, and. Chris? Um... That's kind of the the moments I kind of am referring to that I'm when I was saying Ahsoka's seeing manifestations of the dark side in him because I, I don't know if she necessarily really was exposed to that scene specifically or was told about it later. But if he's doing things like that, you think that she's eventually going to catch on to it. And so that's kind of one of the things I was referring to and yeah. when I was saying that she is seeing him uh, manifest the dark side or or definitely skirt the, 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 the general Jedi behavioral ethical rules. 
Yeah, and and we kind of there, there is a scene where we see her see him doing something like that. Yes, the, yes, and uh, she's just sitting in the back and she looks so like, disgusted. Yeah, and it, you know, as much as it's the three of them messing with his mind, Anakin is the most evil because he's like, maybe we should try again. <laughs> exactly right, exactly right. And, and just to again touch upon that that scene there, um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear and glean the implications of that. Where I mean, we, we didn't really see the consequences of it because it was kind of just linked linked into the plot. It was an underlying theme there. That obviously he'd used the dark side, but I mean, would it be something that, say, Palpatine felt? And the Jedi didn't feel it clearly because they were inqu- inquiring uh, with Anakin about and questioning him about how he managed to get Boggle to talk. They had no idea. Yet, would you imagine that Palpatine maybe sensed this in the Force? Because it's quite a dark turn, to say the least. Force choking. Or, or maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Anakin just told him about it later. Because we know Anakin tells Palpatine yeah. that kind of stuff. He told him about the Sand People. So, you know, maybe this is just another thing that, you know, Anakin will well, entrust possibly. with Palpatine and no one else. And that's never a good idea. Um, Chris, do you have um, Well, else I have to, like, final thoughts. So if we... <laughs> um, I, will, I will save yeah, them We'll, we'll get to those thoughts. in a moment. <laughs> they're, they're general. Okay, fantastic. General, all right. Uh, let's jump to uh, favorite quotes. Uh, Chris, I realize I didn't tell you ahead of time this is something we do on the show <laughs> since the last time you've come, you came on, but we try to pick a favorite quote from one of or maybe a couple of the episodes. Uh, so, well, I will uh, have I'll give to you the option because I can't moments. even paraphrase <laughs> the amazingness of the quote. And and the quote the quote the quote that I love from these episodes it's more about the oh. the facial expression and mannerisms than the actual words, which I haven't seen in several years. <laughs> uh, how long has it been? It's been about a year since I've 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 seen that this particular part of this episode. Unfortunately, I need to watch it again. But anyway, the scene the scene where um at, at the bottom of 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 the of the cliff where uh, right before they're about to go in, and Ahsoka's talking to Anakin, and ah- Ahsoka like says something snarkily to him, and she's like waving her hand around. Like, do, do you guys re- remember that specific scene? What what does she say? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. With she like puts her hand out and, and like does like a you know like oh yeah oh yeah 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 oh yes yeah, okay, that was that, that, that was gonna be my quote it's she says to him she's Anakin's like you know oh, 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 yes. you know. I'm, it was your job to remember the math, but she's like, I, I did, I did do that. Yes. Remember when I reminded you about the giant <laughs> yes, wall, and you that, said, that, "Don't that, worry, that, Snips, I, we I won't be going anywhere near that." that. <laughs> yes, I love it. It's it not just, it's not like it, it goes to show. Like, I love it for the mannerisms because I can't even, I didn't even remember the quote. I just remembered the the, the voice, like the tone that she had, and the, yeah. Yeah, she, she <laughs> like almost that was absolutely like, Don't fantastic. Worry, snips, that worry. was a great job from just a- Ashley Eckstein and the animators, just bringing so much life to to the character in that in that in that when she said that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> See, that's, that that's what you mine, get for so, telling me. Um... I'll steal yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll go with the more 
I'll go with the line we we just talked about a second ago. It was the clones and saying, you know, if there's one thing we clones know, it's how to catch a Jedi or how to stop a Jedi. And I just thought that was such creepy foreshadowing and and, and really great stuff. And, and then, of course, the, the Obi-Wan line. I'll throw in a second one of you. What do you think? Will it go in the ear or the nose? I thought that was just sort of such perfect, um, perfect Obi-Wan yeah, drive. Well, I've got favorites. Uh, I've got, I've got favorite. one from each episode. Cause, uh, I find it really difficult to, like... Con- I guess uh, concise it, but put, to put it down to just one. So I'm, I'm having to choose one each. But what I have got, I've got, a, I've got two new categories that I've just implemented right now. First of all, I've got the best quote from the introduction of Tom Kane. Okay. I've, I've got, and then, then the most annoying quote of the week. So all of the arc. So let's start off with the uh, Tom Kane one because that's in the first episode, and it is. Uh, treachery in the senate because i swear to god there is always treachery in the senate it's just like come on mate every week it's the same we know it's treachery in the senate Ross the clan. They're pretty age with each other it's like, oh. we know it's yeah. happened um <laughs> and then we've got landing at point rain this is my annoying quote of the week from uh a week i should say this is this is from harry hill's tv belt that's why i've just i've kind of just nicked that but this is um, uh, my annoying quote from Luminara when uh, Obi Wan and Anakin having some nice banter, and Obi Wan says, "And I shall be finally waiting when you, I shall be waiting for you when you finally arrive." And then she says, "Gentlemen, if you're quite finished, we have a battle to begin." It's like, come on, Luminara, <laughs> sort that out. Yes. And then um, a couple of funny lines here: the tactical droid in Weapons Factory. Oh, Fool, the super weapon is imp- the super tank is impervious to all weapons, and then boom, he blows up. I love that bit. That made me laugh. And uh, I think we've already kind of said this one, but in the Legacy of Terror, when Obi Wan says, uh, Anakin grabs the worm and then stamps on it. He says, "What are you doing?" I was going to study that, and then Anakin says, "Study the bottom of my boot." Come on, let's get out of here. And in this one, just for the dramatic, dramatic irony purposes, the brain invaders when uh, they uh, that worm is just. Uh, infected and uh that's the, the clone called scythe and he and one of the other clones says hey scythe welcome to the land of the living and it's just, i thought that was a nice yeah. dramatic irony there so there we yeah. are that's all my quotes that took quite a long time but i thought it was worth yeah <laughs> all right so that will wrap things up let's do final thoughts on this arc and score out of 10. All right. Okay. So Chris, this, you're the guest, you this was first. my favorite arc in the Clone Wars for quite a long time. I mean, th- there was a lot of uh, th- just by the variance of the episodes where you start with an episode that's really political. There's not a lot of action. It was really the first episode to do that. It um, Senate Spy was not my favorite episode. In fact, I'd say probably of these five episodes, it was my least favorite. But because they're together, I like seeing the variants. Watching it all them all together, it, it, it fits a little bit better to have the political backstory to these amazing action episodes that are to follow. Um, Landing at Point Rain is, as I said before, it's the, it's the showpiece episode for early on in this show. When it came out, I all my friends who weren't watching this show who like like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or action movies and or fantasy movies or whatever in general, I said, you have to go and you have to watch the rerun of this um, because I think they, they replayed it a, quite a few times on, on Cartoon Network after the initial airing. Um, and I, I kept telling everybody the times <laughs> and, and saying, hey, check it now. You know, go Tuesday at, at 9 p.m. Encore episode. Watch it now. Um, 
So, because it was just, it was just absolutely um, <laughs> perfect. I mean, um, we we just recorded um, on the Star Wars Underworld podcast the Thank the Clone Wars episode that you guys need to check out, where we talked about our favorite moments moments from the series in general. And uh, I think it was Ben um, on the show who said this is like the perfect episode. And and I, I I agree. I mean, there there are certain elements of other episodes yeah. that are better in certain ways that they're more touching or they're more shocking or there's bigger explosions. But as a whole, when you look at everything, that there's just this episode. They just jam so much stuff into it. I feel like it, it it's the episode that's kind of almost like the 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 Avengers of the Clone Wars, where you have all of the characters coming together and and fighting and all the great um interplay and dialogue between them and it's just supported it's not it's not carried but supported by by the amazing amazing animation and action sequences that without question joel aaron just went above and beyond this this is i would say this is joel aaron's signature episode where he came on and said i can with with a very small budget make this tv show look like look like cinema and he did a great fantastic job of it and then uh moving on uh, as i said weapons factory there's some slower moments it's not it's not as fast paced um the scale is a much smaller um yet it kind of needs to slow down to kind of get more into the characters and, and and develop them specifically. So I think that was a good idea to slow things down in that episode. And then Legacy of of Terror is just a, a freaky episode that um <laughs> I, I it's not it's not my favorite episode, but I like it for the fact that it's different. And that's kind of what you come to appreciate in hindsight. Like when you're first watching the series for the first time, you might, you might kind of not like departures from the norm. You want, you want to see kind of the same thing over and over again when you're watching it. You want to see the story progress. But when you look back, you kind of appreciate more the episodes that were different. Um, because it's just, again, as you're watching things over and over again, sometimes certain stories tend to blend into themselves because they're so similar. And yet, like, you know, another space battle, another invasion, where or another episode about um, the Senate and treachery in the Senate. <laughs> and, and, and it's just this episode is so unique. And there's only a few moments in this series where they go that that are that macabre go go into that and really the night sisters is the only other part element of the series that stands up to this and its creepiness in my opinion and so fantastic and then brain invaders is definitely one of my favorite episodes of the series probably my top 20 i would say there's so many episodes now it's <laughs> it, it's fallen out of my top 10 it was for a while um but it, it, it it's just that ha- having everything simplified ha- going from a an amazing story that was amazing because there were so many characters and there were there was so much stuff going on and landing at point rain to an episode that's amazing because it's it's just everything shrunk down it's really just about two characters on a ship full of clones and there's not a whole lot of, of, of other stuff going on. I mean, you have a few scenes going off to Anakin and what he's doing, but then that's just supporting the main story. And it gets really deep into the psychology of Ahsoka 
and in her head and at the beginning and what's going on in Barris's head as well. It's a great it's it's a great character driven story that also is very suspenseful and the the the, the uh, animation with the, the glass shattering at the end of the episode was absolutely i feel like groundbreaking for t- television cgi at the at the time and just a sign of things that were to come for the clone war series getting more and more amazing um and also that I, I have to definitely give kevin kiner props a uh, brain invaders mm. for sure is one of my favorite scored episodes in the Clone Wars from, from Kiner. I just felt like the, the, the use of instruments that he used um, put such a great spin on John Williams where it felt like Star Wars, but it still was new. And um, I think he did an absolutely fantastic job scoring at that episode specifically. So overall, I give this arc a, a 9 out of 10 um, because I uh, a few of the episodes I felt were kind of weaker in supporting the other ones. They didn't stand alone as amazing episodes in my book, like Senate Spy and, and Weapons Factory. Um, but uh, because of the, the 10 out of 10, just out of the ballpark episodes, uh, especially landing at Point Rain, and then like maybe the 9.5 out of 10 for, for, for the finale, mm-hmm. I say it averages out to about 9 out of 10 for me for the whole thing. So I love this. I love this arc. And, and when I go back ten, in 10 years and want to specifically watch and remember the Clone Wars, this is going to be one of maybe five or, or six arcs that I will pick out uh, that I, that I want to watch and, and, and show everybody else to tell them about this amazing show that was on uh, when I was younger. Fantastic. Kieran, how about you? Final thoughts and score out of 10. I'm going to go and give this arc... I was going to give it a 9 out of 10, but Chris has done that as well. So I'm going to change it up a little bit and go with 8.5 out of 10. And I'll, I'll quickly explain the negative for this. Uh, the main negative, I've already illustrated many, many points on this, but I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan of Luminara on Dooley, <laughs> the Jedi. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I feel she seriously undermined my um, like and um, enjoyment of the of these episodes with her, you know, oh, I feel the fading of the Force. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, throw up, come on, help them. Anyway, we've talked about that. I won't say any more about Luminara. But anyway, let's talk about the good stuff in this arc. It's just so, so much. Uh, landing at Point Rain, as Chris has said, it's just, it, and um, as Ben has said in it, Thank the Clone Wars show, it is a perfect episode. It's absolutely fantastic. Action-packed. But the animation, as you said, by Joel Aaron, but also by Danny Keller, have just been absolutely fantastic and perfectly executed. And all of them were just the evolution, really, of the, of the plot and the story from Senate spy, when as we said, treachery in the Senate up until zombies. I mean, come on, where did that come into it? But it's just an absolute fantastic transition and progression. But as a story, like, I think it works very, very well, I have to say, because there's not really major plot holes where I can see, say, in, I think the previous art that you talked about Chris when you were on here with a uh, layer of grievous cloak of darkness where that thread was mainly new gunner you had geonosis but you still had the evolution here with lights of poggle and then it changed into zombies and obviously then it went into order underlying themes of order 66 and then it can turn to the dark so just so much good stuff in here so uh just to quickly finish as well talking about Kevin Kiner I, I don't know if you call it but actually in Senate Spire I think there was actually a couple of scores or themes that 
were remin- well, at least for me, uh, evoke that of The Godfather, which I, I didn't actually hear upon second or third viewing. But it's when you first, when Padme first walks into um, Lot Dodd's palace, so to speak. So if you look out for, listen for that. And so just to finish it all up there, a fantastic story arc and definitely one that is a landmark in Clone Wars history, but also arguably the best in season two. So I'll pass it over to you, Dominic. Final thoughts. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Chris and give it a nine out of ten. I, I really enjoyed this this arc. Um, you know, landing at Point Reyes. What what more can you say about it? It's incredible humor, action, um, emotional scenes of you know Obi Wan being hurt, Kiadi Mundi walking around with a limp. It's it's incredible stuff. Um, I think I like Senate Spy better than you guys did. Um, I enjoyed it for its sort of its. It's a bit, a bit melodramatic at times, and it sort of found that to be a little bit fun for a, a one-off. Sort of, sort of like what you said, Chris, about the the zombie stuff. Yeah. That you know, every now and again, it, it, it's fun to do something just a little bit different. Um, although most of the time, it's better to do zombies than <laughs> melodrama. Um, and then uh, Weapons Factory again. It's just the emotion of, of, of Ahsoka and Barris and, and their bond, and and again, knowing where Barris winds up and thinking about how this could have affected that decision was this the caveat for this that decision or was it just part of a bigger pile of stuff that was um that she was getting upset over and, and I, I think that's fascinating to think about uh, legacy of terror while i'm still a little on the fence about uh, zombies and star wars you guys have kind of convinced me i'm, I'm a little bit more uh, on board with it and the episode was brilliantly done it's a lot of fun to watch as soon as as soon as you get past, as soon as I get past this sort of, oh, you know, do, should we have the undead in Star Wars? You know, should we keep ourselves away from that? As soon as you get past, as soon as I get past that, it's a great episode and I love it with all the banter between Anakin and Obi Wan and, and the great moments. And, and again, I like the, the sciencey explanation for the zombies better than Night Sister magic. Um, and uh, and then of course, Brain Invaders was just brilliant and suspenseful and, and you know there's, the, there's a great mini lightsaber duel and there's there's you know the emotion of Ahsoka and, and Barris and, and all of that all that stuff going on and what I really liked about Brain Invaders is that they had that final scene where Anakin talks to Ahsoka and he comforts her and he makes everything alright and sort of that scene you need to wrap everything up after this ordeal that we've been through you know, you need somebody there to tell you that it's, that it's all all right, and that that's something that <laughs> later episodes of, of the, the series and later arcs, specifically the Umbara arc, were, were really missing. Was that final scene with somebody like Anakin or Obi Wan or someone like that to really, you know, um, talk talk you through what you just saw? <laughs> and uh, so I love that this arc included that. All right, so thank you everybody for listening. You can catch the show. Uh, the show. Is released every other Tuesday. You can email us, send us your thoughts on this arc or the next one, which we will be talking about, which will be Grievous Intrigue, The Deserter, and Lightsaber Lost. That's coming up two weeks from now. You can send us your thoughts on that by email to clonewarsstrikesback at gmail.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash clonewarsstrikesback. You can follow us on Twitter at TCWStrikesBack. You can follow me on Twitter at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran on Twitter at CDuggan6. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CTerra5. Um, be sure to subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld podcast iTunes feed so you can catch this show and the Star Wars Underworld podcast 
podcast, not podcast. We don't give away money, sadly. Um, <laughs> not Pananakin again. <laughs> not Pananakin, yeah. Um, and then um, uh, make sure you listen to the Star Wars Underworld podcast if you can't catch me and Chris and our friend Ben each and every Thursday talking about the latest breaking Star Wars news. We've got a huge show coming up. We've got Rebels news. We've got the EU and speculation about Episode 7 galore. And that's uh, recorded live on 9 p.m. on Channel 1138 and then released on Friday on the iTunes feed and the website. And speaking of Channel 1138, Chris, I understand there's a lot of new stuff going on with Channel 1138. Like, you know, going live 24-7. Why don't you tell everybody uh, about... Uh, what you got going on with channel 1138 the simplest thing to tell you guys to do right now is just to go to channel 1138.com and look at the schedule because we're adding (laughs) something like every other day to it and i I basically at the end of the voice of the republic podcast which i guess hosted on on friday i I went on a 10 minute speech about trying to (laughs) name every single thing that we were doing (laughs) poor daniel didn't listen to me talk so um Basically, every day there's something new. There's something new live, and there's something new um, pre-recorded that we're playing from uh, um, 40 years of, of Star Wars audio archive history. Um, so definitely, uh, if you're listening to iTunes and have not tuned in live to um, Channel 1138, do that. Uh, if you um, are, are listening on an Apple device, um, you can just download the Mixler app. That's M-I-X-L-R um, in the App Store. And um, just search for Channel 1138 on the app, and you can uh, listen live um, on the go. And then, of course, Channel 1138.com um, on your uh, personal computer. It's a 24-7 Star Wars radio. Uh, don't, don't miss it. Yes, definitely check it out. Just to expand a little bit, there's music audio dramas, podcasts, and more. Um, so you definitely want to check that out. Kieran, you mentioned you're back at university. Is Expression FM back? They are indeed. New schedule is up, but I haven't I haven't exactly put in for my show yet. I'm uh, waiting <laughs> for the right opportunity because obviously doing these on a Sunday, uh, doing this every other Sunday, and the preparation for that, but also just because I don't want to be doing it at uh, 8 in the morning. So <laughs> that's kind of what's available at the moment. So, yeah, definitely great to have that back. And uh, in terms of expression sport, they're back and up and running on um, Saturdays from a... I don't know exactly what this is in Eastern time. I think 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. here. So if that's five hours, if you want to be up at 6 a.m. in the morning and you can listen to Expression FM, we've got nothing better to do. But uh, no, you can always download the podcast. And um, our website is www.expressionfm.info. And you can go on the Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash expressionfm. And there'll be more news and info that you guys can look at there. And uh, I completely implore what Chris has said about Channel 1138. It's fantastic. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of the Star Wars soundtracks today and oh, some good, some great soundtracks. And uh, can't, can't wait to hear more of them as I then go offline after this. All right. And uh, between shows, be sure to hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com for the latest breaking Star Wars news, including Rebels, Episode 7, and so much more. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And may the Force be with you. <laughs>